And welcome back to the Patent Room. We are on the third floor of the Patent Block, a historical downtown building. A lot of history here. It's been uh, refurbished, redone. Chris Gavin, uh, as Midwest Bank, that's been one of you guys' projects. And I know the legislators were pretty excited today. They hadn't been here uh, in the past. We've always been over at the community room. So thanks for hosting us today. You're welcome. Our partners include Growmark FS, they're our corporate uh, sponsor, also Traditional Amish Hardwoods, Big River Resources, Elliott Brothers Seed Company, Monmouth College, OSF Holy Family Healthcare, The Warren Henderson Farm Bureau, Martin Sullivan, Compere Financial, Halcom Oil, and our lunch today will be provided by Patent Block Grill and Brew Pub. Ken McMillan, take us into our next category of discussion. You know, when I was in the Illinois Senate and when we went to meetings like this and all of the questions and issues came up. I sat there nervously knowing I either had to defend how I voted yes or how I voted no. But then when they got to national issues, I could relax. So you guys, you guys have been on the front burner, but now we're going to turn to uh, the other part, part of the story. And we're going to talk a little bit about the infrastructure, the real infrastructure uh, legislation in Washington plus the other infrastructure legislation that has to be paid for. So, so number one, um, from what you know and have heard about the one trillion dollar infrastructure bill which deals with locks and dams and bridges and roads, um, what do you know and what do you think about the sufficiency of that? But when that gets put, put together with the supposed $3 trillion uh, human infrastructure bill and the tax consequences of that, uh, the, the secondary thing we want to talk about is what you feel about the dangers to agriculture and farmers because of that. So first, take a look at the bill as you know it. Good, bad, ugly. Um, what do you think about it? Go ahead, Rob Elliott. I think the true infrastructure piece is something that we've wanted in America for a long time. All you got to do is drive down the road and hit a pothole and uh, your dentures need fixed. So, you, you know, and it's pretty obvious that uh, we, we need to take care of our country that way. The locks and dams are apparently in there, which is something that we've advocated for for 20 years or better. And uh, the aging 1930s kind of concrete and steel that's fallen apart. We need that to be competitive worldwide. So some really positives in there for all of us in the country, but certainly agriculture would be a winner in the true infrastructure bill. Brian well, Duncan? Yeah, I, I would echo Rob's comments. So the true infrastructure bill uh, deals with the bricks and mortar that are so vital to us to be competitive as exporters and again economic development up and down the rivers. Um, since I've been in leadership in Farm Bureau we've been asking for this you know we keep locks and dams is always something I mean it's the first thing we start talking about uh, when when we meet uh, and talk about needs with our elected officials. The human infrastructure uh, bill on the other hand is very problematic um, very problematic in how it's being approached, very problematic with uh, um, how it appears to be being rushed through on the slimmest of majorities if 
if they're successful in pushing it through. And some of the things we struggle with the most as an organization are the pay-fors. And they still keep coming back to elimination of stepped-up basis, uh, changing inheritance tax laws. And if you want a recipe to eliminate the family farm, it's elimination of stepped-up basis. Uh, making families pay for the farm every generation is just not sustainable and I thought we'd learn that lesson and I know they talk about carve-outs and special exceptions for people that stay on the farm oh, we don't trust those exceptions we don't know how they would be administered we don't know how they would be legislated and the devil's always in the details on the rules making on these things and then how courts could interpret those rules um, it's just a very scary pathway they're on on the pay for so we are certainly keeping a close eye on the human infrastructure bill. It, it also seems to me that that the proposals are being made, uh, even Vilsack's uh, Wall Street Journal editorial yesterday, which, which I thought really disappointed a lot of people that just be, thought because he had been the Secretary of Agriculture and was from Iowa, he really understood farmers, and it looks to me like he, he didn't. But I think they also don't understand that in U.S. agriculture today, there are a lot of family operations that are incorporated. There are a lot of others that have many, many different different forms. And, and many of those structures were put together in order to ensure that the farm could be passed on to the next generation. And, and it sounds to me like that hasn't even been given any consideration when it comes to it. Yeah, and when Sherry Bustos and I talked about the stepped-up basis earlier this week when she was in town, she said she would fight it tooth and nail, and, and there was a particular vote that was 99 to, to zero uh, because, as as we stated, we felt there was nothing um, in our discussion, nothing more American than passing on the family farm to the next generation. And Ron Moore, you're in that uh, perfect situation, and Jake, you're on deck for the same question. Your thoughts? It's a mess. Um, and I'm with Brian. I don't trust that the exemptions are going to be um, workable, and any new Congress down the road can make changes to the law. And and uh, it is this is to me this is a bandwagon, and you've got the new Green Deal that come out of New York City that that says cows are contributing to the pollution in our our atmosphere and and they want to have everybody get free everything and you can't pay for it free everything for everybody um, this is just another example of, of what I call government overreach um, and meaning no disrespect to the legislators here that I'm very skeptical and don't trust anything that comes out of Washington DC and sometimes Springfield and that is very concerning to me um, it, it really so I have three sons I have one son who's farming with me and my wife and the other two have all farm jobs they don't, don't even live in the, the state so at my death, what happened? My son's going to get the exemption if it all passes through that the farms with me. What happens to the other two? Are they going to have to pay inheritance tax on the 200 acres that they are each going to inherit? Nobody seems to be able to answer that question. I've been told that oh, there's a workaround for that. Well, 
the workaround means you've got to hire tax financial planners and lawyers and and not everybody will is willing to do that and so removing a step up in basics and, and imposing a transfer tax that at my wife and my death is just is just onerous and and in my opinion ridiculous chris as a banker you see the bottom line of a lot of the farm operations, you know the value of the farmland that they're operating under. You watch as that value changes and as the tax laws impact their ability to, if nothing else, pay back the loans from you. What do, what's your reaction to what you know about what's being proposed? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I've actually been working on, um, so I, I'm not, I'm a banker that, that comes from a farm, and so uh, our family is just right in the middle of all this with doing some estate planning. And so, uh, so my, our, my my tax guy and lawyer, our tax guy and our lawyer for our family, is very very concerned. Mate. He he laid out some of the, the pitfalls, and and it's it's complex, but it, it's not it's, it, if everything or the potential of things that can happen with this, it's just going to be very, very negative. Um, and I'm, I, you know, I go along with what Ron's saying, and, and you know, it's, you know, it, it is, it's going to be something where it's going to, it's going to be very expensive. You know, there's going to be, for, for people to try to work, do the workarounds, if, if that's what it's going to be. Um, but, you know, now we're seeing some some large increases in land values too with some inflation here recently so uh the whole the, the stepped up basis plus plus the just the whole potential estate tax um issue is very troubling um i i do know that you know again it's like it's just going to force people to really have to figure things out again it shouldn't be that complicated i, I guess is the bottom line for farmers but but certainly it's it's again, what I spoke to earlier. It's you know the farmers have these brief windows of opportunities and then they disappear, and and it's like it's just and it's getting worse. I think that's I think that that's becoming more of an issue because you know the time frames that you have an opportunity to do something um, those windows are getting smaller. So uh, yeah, it's it's very concerning. You know, I know that um, we have operated a, a, a trust department at our, at our bank for 100 years or more, and uh, so we're, we're seeing actually, um, you know, that that business because of the exemptions that have existed, you know, so that business has gone away. Potentially, some of this business could come back with with more in-depth, very complex estate plans. Jake, you talked to Farm Bureau members, farmers people in the elevator every day. How are they reacting to what they hear may be coming down the pike in this in this case? So just to be on the other end of this, um, I've got probably about a dozen close friends in the agricultural industry, some in Iowa, some in Illinois, and only one of them right now is currently just solely a farmer. The other 11 have off-farm jobs to provide stable income so that they have the opportunity to continue to farm. So it's very hard right now to farm at my age anyway. Nonetheless, when you throw this wrench into things, um, I actually had a friend whose father passed away, a sudden heart attack uh, two months ago. It, 
all the assets transitioned to his wife fine, but it really kind of uh, woke their family up of just what exactly they're looking to to get it to the him and his siblings in the next generation. Uh, they're not going to be able to swing it without selling it if all of this passes. So it's just it's a big wake-up call. Um, it's something that my generation has looked forward to doing. Um, and just to have that opportunity taken away because of poor legislation is just infuriating. Brian, because of because Illinois Farm Bureau's worried about this issue and you also have access through the American Farm Bureau to what's going on in, in Washington. Uh, how bad is this threat? What are the prospects of, of getting it uh, changed? I mean, it was disappointing to a lot of people when Vilsack's uh, comments basically in the Wall Street Journal yesterday said, oh, don't worry about it. Farmers are not going to be suffering from this. And the minute that article came out, I got an email from uh, our staff that said we are on this immediately, and I think Chairman Vilsack spent the rest of the day answering phone calls, if my guess is correct. You know, so you never take the threat for granted. We were very successful when it was talked about as a way to pay for the real infrastructure bill and, and getting it taken off the table. In fact, you know, it was a bipartisan. There were it was a bipartisan effort, um, and there were several um, uh, Democrat representatives that sent a letter to the president that said that's a non-starter. However, never say never, and I'm not going to make a prediction. What I can assure you is we will work very hard. I am very confident in our ability to tell the story. I am very confident in our ability to bring pressure on our legislators. But at the end of the day, and I'm sure our uh, representatives and senators sitting over Hill, what that bill in its final uh, uh, form looks like might not be seen until the 11th hour, and it might be the 11th hour and 59 minutes. And it might be, uh, we don't know what's in this, but we're going to vote for it anyhow and then wait and find out on the backside. So I will make no predictions when it comes to politics, but I will tell you that we will fight tooth and nail. Dan Swanson, let's talk as a farmer um, and then put your legislative hat on to follow up on what Brian Duncan's comments were. And I know, Rob, you're on deck as well. So, and I think the, the most disturbing comments were what Jake had to say. You know, we look at our young people as being the, the future farmers of our operations, and uh, that's scary when, when we're seeing that going on with our young people. And I appreciate Brian's comments of, of taking the, uh, the stance that this is wrong, and we're going to get out in front of it. And that's what we need to be is, is we all are sitting around this table, whether we're a legislator, farmer, or in the banking or farming business, we have to be the advocates. And we have to be the loudest voices that, that we can be out there for um, this legislation. This being federal legislation, um, not much we can do on our side, but certainly you can call a, a, a congressperson too or a, a federal senator too to, to express your concerns. So, Have you called uh, State Senator Durbin to find out how he feels about it? I have not, but I mean anyone can do that. Sure. Anybody can make those calls. My understanding um, is on the real infrastructure bill, Senator Durbin had indicated that he would not support elimination of stepped-up basis. But now as they're putting in these exceptions, I'm, I'm not certain 
uh, as this uh, this house version of the human infrastructure bill goes forward Rob Elliott I'm not an attorney or a tax advisor but but I think this is really bigger than farms and ag it's small business and family type businesses and I, I think we Again, I'm I'm not an expert here, but it would seem we've got the potential to fundamentally change the economic structure of you know out here in America that the ones able to fund, support, or buy that farm or business now is a wealthy individual or corporation or the Bill Gates types of the world going around buying up lots of farmland, that kind of thing. So it, it kind of bodes to the bigger picture a little bit, and it seems like we're rapidly becoming an entitlement society that uh, we want the government to take care of us and I think we're, we're probably headed the wrong direction that way. Well thanks for explaining the human infrastructure, the true infrastructure because when you read stories when you have to you know look at news it does get confusing which infrastructure plan for people who are not in agriculture which what am i looking at well it's had about 12 different names i think since they've been talking about it and then you throw in this whole reconciliation idea and uh, I, I don't know we've got a little bit of a shell game going on about who's doing what and who's on first i'm, I'm afraid well initially when, once they talked about the real infrastructure bill. Basically, they determined that there wasn't, would not be any necessity for tax increases to pay for that because they had other, uh, other sources. But then when it got married so absolutely with the $3 trillion human, human uh, infrastructure bill, that's when these very serious tax changes came into to play. And so one of the big issues is whether whether they'll be able to continue to cram both of them together because the whole country wants the, the physical infrastructure bill. Uh, there's not much controversy about that, really. You could always tweak it, but, but the problem is now that the political hierarchy has crammed both of them together. Ron Moore? Yeah, so as I understand it, the, the people are pushing for the, the uh, human infrastructure bill, the $3 trillion bill, are hanging their hat on the exemptions uh, for both farmers and small businesses. Um, the, the one number I saw the exemption was a million dollars. Uh, the first million dollars would be exempt from tax. After that, it would be subject to a transfer tax or a step up in basis. So, you know, $15,000, an acre land in Iowa. I've heard some high numbers here in Illinois. It doesn't take many acres to get over a million dollars if you're going to inherit them. So I guess my thoughts or hope is that there's enough moderate Democrats that will say $3 trillion is too much and that the onerous taxes that they're proposing um, is is too onerous and we can't we can't do that. It's going to negatively affect the economy and, and and increase inflation and all those other things. And so that's that's the only way I see this not being a tax on or removing step up basis and transfer tax. Brian Duncan. And then those exemptions become something we have to spend the rest of our lives defending. That's that's the problem. Once they go in place and we see that in the state that that then the question becomes, well, everybody else has to pay those taxes, why don't farmers? 
and then you're just one stroke of the pen or one unfriendly session of Congress, and, and that's a loss. And we spend so much political capital and energy and worry and estate planning and everything based around an exemption that could be taken away at the stroke of a pen. And, and still we deal with the fundamental issue of fairness, and if those assets were bought with income that had already been, the taxes had already been paid on it, with after-tax income, that they've been taxed once, uh, there's just, again, it's a little bit like the energy bill. I mean, the precedent we're setting here, and I think Rob said, said something about fundamentally shifting uh, what America looks like and what tax policy is really meant for. Is tax policy meant to generate revenue, to pay for infrastructure and things people need, or is tax policy designed to promote, quote unquote, social justice? And I think uh, that's a fundamental question that, that maybe we're wrestling with right now in America. What is the purpose of taxes and why are they levied? Uh, and, and so we don't want to start setting precedents here and putting things in place that we will spend the rest of our lives trying to protect and defend when it's a bad idea to start with. Jim Lighting. Uh, mine would be more of a personal note uh, as far as uh, the social justice issue. I'm going to drift away. I'm very much in agreement of the concern on a stepped-up basis. But our country was built on people who worked, people who made things happen, and businesses and farmers. Um, our business, we've had a tremendously difficult time hiring people. And in hiring people, um, I think part of the issue is some of the entitlements that have been out here that have discouraged people from returning to work. Um, I just came back from a reunion with my small family and my son has three daughters and they get a check. And um, my spouse, uh, her mother uh, is on Social Security, she's 90 years old. and. My son never missed a day of work. The Social Security check keeps coming, and all these checks are coming from the federal government. And so the entitlement, the social justice, are we doing redistribution of wealth? And we're doing it in a backhand manner in a country that was built on people working hard and bettering themselves. and. Instead, right now, we're generating an entitlement society, and I'm very concerned about that. I'm very concerned about that for my grandchildren and uh, my family as they grow. I think it's a big issue. I think one of the things that everybody out there listening should keep in mind is the thing that you're going to hear is there will be exceptions for small farms and small businesses. The fact of the matter is the dollar figure they're going to apply to that exemption is, is going to be for a farm that is too small to be sustainable, too small for a family to earn an income, and, and, and too small to be productive in the way that, that Illinois and U.S. agriculture need it to be if we're going to feed feed the world, and and that's one reason to fight this thing 
totally and not just be satisfied, okay, there'll be an exemption for small farms and small businesses. Okay. Chris Gavin? Because that, that was, was falling right in line with what I was thinking, whether it's a million dollar exemption or 2.5 million, whatever it is, would it cost a half a million dollars to buy a combine? You know, just just put that in perspective. You know, yeah. It's and then with inflation, like if they put that in place, likely that's going to be. We'll have to, as Brian said, we probably have to defend it. But but, you know, inflation continues on. You know, and so it's not enough now. And what do you think in 10 years? It's it's going to yeah. be not nearly enough, and it's going to yeah. be there. So. Passing along 80 acres and a mule's not enough to uh, <laughs> yeah, be, right. be able to have an income. That's right. Before we transition, yes, Senator Tracy. Well, I was just going to say, I always think uh, that there's a misunderstanding about the agricultural community. When you talk about a million-dollar farm, you think, wow, and all I can think of is dirt rich, cash poor. Right. I, I've seen so many young fa farm families run into issues. Recently, I had a friend, they were young, and the husband got a, a terminal illness very quickly, and they did not have estate planning. And even with stepped-up basis in place within the state of Illinois, uh, she's really struggled to keep her family farm intact. That one, yeah, we could do a whole nother roundtable on what happens when you have a, a, a health emergency and you can lose property assets, that's a very challenging one. Um, thank you, Jill. Anybody have anything else on this piece before we transition into something that Jim Lighting just talked about with employees, uh, Chris Gavin with inflation, anything else on this stepped up basis, uh, comments? Okay. So let's talk about uh, the livestock industry and our, for our last 25 minutes here. Um, it's no secret, um, no one's here from Smithfield, so I won't speak on behalf of them. However, us as well as many others have been running recruitment ads uh, for these production facilities. Brian Duncan, you know this, whether it's JBS, whether it's Tyson, whether it's Smithfield. What's our challenge? We're, we're down 300 in, in, in our, our pork plants. We're, we're looking at a potential for production shutdowns or slimming of the harvesting of the herds, which could then lead to, and we already see what meat prices are, I about fell over the other day going to buy hamburger. Wow, did not know, or a steak is, you know, it's $18.99 a pound now. We already have a challenge. What, what do you know at the Farm Bureau level? You know, the concern is very real, and, and yeah, the challenge is real. I know harvest capacity at some of these plants is down 20 to 25 percent on a day-in, day-out basis. They're not sure w how much of their workforce is going to show on any given day, and, and that's very difficult. It's a very difficult situation to operate a business in, and especially on the just-in-time kind of supply chain we have in the meat industry. You know, I can't, as the hogs on my farm, I'm still an independent pork producer, the hogs on our farm got to go to market because they're sows farrowing it. You know, we saw the whole COVID supply chain break down. So you ask us solutions and I know, and I know, uh, uh, Workforce challenges are, are difficult for everybody right now. Everybody is trying to employ people. They're acutely difficult in the processing industry. Uh, it would appear to me that one of the one of the solutions would be increasing in the specialty visas and tracking that. That if we have people that want to come into the country that have that the skill set to work in these, the valuable skill set to work in these uh, harvest facilities and on the supply chain, that we would prioritize them, give them visas, get them in here, uh, and get them working. It's it's not a matter of of. Uh, 
uh, cutting curbing immigration so that those jobs can go to domestic people domestic people aren't aren't available or don't want those jobs and so I think wrapped up in some of these solutions is an immigration policy that targets uh, specific employees for specific skills and gets them in this country and gets them working uh, but the challenge Vanessa the challenge it's very real and it has me concerned especially we ha as we head into some of the peak uh, pork harvest months here in Aknovdis uh, what we could be facing Jim uh, as I shared earlier we had um, four positions opened at one of our plants for six months with no applicants and I think that's a ramification. We had another plant had three positions open in the same manner. And so I think unintended consequences of uh, the government trying to do something good for people has harmed our, our economy from returning to full force and, and getting people back to work and paying taxes on on wages and I think that it's very important as we're going forward that um, we continue to encourage people to better themselves through employment. Brian? And I, and I also think part of the solution is going to be in robotics. I know there's large investments being made in some of these harvest facilities in robotics. And I do and I, I do agree and I don't want to diminish the role that the government's playing in people not seeking work. But I think we also need to look at a structural reality in that the boomers are retiring. You know, when we've had a lot of boomers at least that I, I know of a person you know, personal anecdotes that maybe have been working into their upper sixties because that's what we do. We work and and maybe experience some furlough or some COVID uh, layoffs and are like, you know, we like staying home, we're retiring. And so I think as we look at having to replace the boomers in the workforce, this challenge is not, I don't think this challenge is gonna go away as we look at the, the unemployment benefits being curbed. I think we're gonna have to deal with this. And again, I, I, our organization would call for sound, sound uh, uh, immigration policy that would allow people to come in to allow this economy to grow, these jobs to be filled and goods to be produced. Chris Gavin. Yeah, I mean, I think we just like we, we just hear it everywhere, especially uh, we deal with a lot of small business, and yeah, it's just it's just a, it's a problem everywhere. And you know, I don't know. We were thinking that when these extended unemployment benefits ran out, that and that's just kind of happened here since the mm -hmm. first of the month. Um, that we thought we'd see some more people return to the workforce. That, that's, that's yet to be seen. Um, that's, that's, good. that's a big question out there right now. But it's also, um, I was talking to, uh, well, I was down in Quincy uh, last week and, and talking to uh, uh, Rich Neiman, and, and he was talking about you know, the, their stores across several states and, and everything that they have in, in different, also convenience stores. And he was telling me some of their problems with this, but the point that he brought up that I hadn't hadn't really thought of is that we're not going back. You know, they're 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 starting wages like seventeen dollars an hour. We, the minimum wage is kind of that's kind of gone out the window. I mean, right. the step up in minimum wage over the next three years has happened all within a year. I mean, we were getting we thought we were going to take two or three years to get there. Well, it's happened. And and uh, but what he's point out to me is that the fact that 
we're not going back. So when we, they talk about inflation and the fact that this is temporary, well, think about the, how much of the inflation component is in the wages, right? And I don't know when we've ever been able to reduce wages, especially now with the shortage. So right. we're, not, we're not going back. So I think, again, I think the inflation is a big concern and it goes back earlier. People feel good right now about getting the money from the government and we've got all the stimulus you know, that's, got, that's, that's come around our, our way. And I think I may have said this at the last round table, but you know, just, just our, our bank alone grew $100 million you know, because of stimulus. And that's just, just one bank. So I mean, and it's, it's kind of been sticking around, but you know, that's the putting that money in the front pocket is make, making people feel good. But the inflation is going to take it all away. And it's, right. not, and it's not going away, right? We got this one-time boost. And now we're going to live with this thing for the next two or three, whatever. It's just going to take a long time. And, and related to that, um, Brendan, you can probably answer this as well as anybody. Uh, all of the supply chain problems, which mean the supply of goods and services, but particularly for farmers and agriculture, the supply of product means the price is going to go up and it contributes to inf inflation. Uh, what about fertilizer? What about chemicals? Most of that stuff has to move. And, and what is all of this supply chain problem? What result are we going to have to suffer through? So like what Jim was saying, you have a lot of them. You have room to hire people. Correct. West Central FS, we have room to hire people. We run our own trucks, too. We can't hire people. They don't, they're hard to find. And so when something does come up the river, we have a short amount of time to get it unloaded off of a barge to get it to our facilities. And so you're scrambling to try to find trucks and you're competing with grain, uh, you're competing with fuel, you're competing with everybody trying to do it. Uh, prices, yeah, they, you know, it all is going to follow the core market up and down on what fertilizers and things are going to do. But uh, I think that like a lot of farmers now today have uh, started to change their practices. Like I'll use soil testing, for example. We do a lot of grid testing. My company does that. So when we go out and grid test something, uh, you set a sustainable yield goal and you fertilize areas that need it and not areas that don't. So on a year like this, grid testing is really going to pay because you're not going to blanket fertilizers. And so I'm looking at that as also trying to make up for the fact that some of this stuff, you know, you, you somebody brought up on time delivery to the uh, livestock industry. Well, we're kind of that way in the fertilizer industry too because we can't hold everything that we sell. And so you're relying on that. Well, with variable rating fertilizer and put it where you need it and where you don't, with a, with a very well-established yield goal, not only for nitrogen, but for phosphorus and potassium, you can overcome some of those cost issues. Representative Hammond and Brian's on deck. So um, on, on Ag Day at the State Fair, I had an opportunity to talk to um, a number of individuals in, uh, involved in agriculture and, and uh, uh, large entities and, and smaller entities and and the conversation was across the board the supply chain is absolutely crippling the industry um, when I had an opportunity the other day uh, to tour the Big Rivers uh, facility over in Galva uh, Jim uh, fascinating absolutely fascinating and one of the things that Jean brought up was the fact that um, they don't have the containers um, available uh, to, to, to move product. And uh, uh, one of the individuals that is with a, a, a very large agriculture interest 
they don't know from day to day if they're going to have to shut down certain plants and I'm sure Brendan you feel this with with, uh, with FS because they don't know that they're going to have the drivers so the the drivers with the CDLs are are not available either and and you know you can say you're going to offer x number of dollars but your neighbor is offering a $5000 bonus on top of that so you know we are truly we are eating our own and we've got to get it figured out and get it leveled off so we can bring this economy back to where it needs to be Vice President Duncan. Yeah, and so I think I think you raise a great point, Noreen. And there's but there's there's got to be balance here. So, I mean, I think all of us should celebrate uh, wages going up. I think that's a good thing. Putting buying power in the hands of the consumers is a good thing. And and so I don't want to appear to be against market-driven higher wages. But the problem becomes like when Noreen says, where you still can't hire anybody no matter what you're paying, and there still needs to be a profit motive for the risk takers and so it's about balance and so I still think it comes back to Noreen and I, again a sustainable immigration policy. We know our population growth as the boomers age out we know our population growth is not keeping pace and and I don't think we need to be afraid of people coming into this country to work and, and, to, and to help support the economy. Uh, so I, I am glad to see more purchasing power in the hands of the workforce. We just got to make sure we've got enough workforce to keep producing things they can purchase. Right. Uh, one last uh, topic that we do, we really need to discuss. Um, it's uh, alternative sources of proteins for our livestock farmers. And uh, Rob, I'll probably have you just kind of talk a little bit about the marketing. We, Since I've been doing this with y'all, it's marketing has been such a challenge against agriculture. It's just the hits keep on coming. What really disturbs me now is you, we don't even see it. Our age demographic is not on the particular social media sites, and Jake will be able to, to also share his thoughts. There's a really big push for meat grown in a laboratory um, from molecular biologists. There's even folks promising to end animal production in the future. Um, I'll turn that over to you. Why the anti-meat campaigns? And they're doing it when they're really young. You know, they're, they're already on TikToks, things that, are, that our young people are on. Boy, if I could, uh, if I could answer that question. You'd think I was really smart. I'm, I'm afraid I can't. But uh, it, it's one of those things. If you create an, we live in, seem to live in a world, and I used the word culture before, but we've we've got this ongoing culture that's rapidly changing. And if you can create enough noise, and get enough people promoting an idea, and you get can try it in the court of public opinion, pretty soon you can turn an idea into a reality. It, it could have no science base to it whatsoever, but emotion drives people's decisions, it would seem. And uh, you, you, you get a counterculture going that they'll, they'll follow you. And it seems like that's where we're at with that, uh, what, what, what I'll call suspect way in which they view agriculture and traditional food products like meat and the like. So I'm, I'm going to propose that Jim Lighting uh, develop a new marketing program for a big river and he's selling plant-based fuel. So. <laughs> That's a good one, Rob. It's called bioethanol. Bioethanol. Don't call it ethanol, bioethanol. Uh, what I would say that's encouraging, this grandpa 
bought some steaks at Costco over the Labor Day weekend, and my seven-year-old and four-year-old granddaughter, my son, looked at me and said, oh, yes, they love their steak. And so <laughs> we got to watch them dive in. And uh, I think from what I have seen with our young family that and I'm hopeful for agriculture that this is a small segment and that people do enjoy their food and the quality of their food and that that small segment will remain out there but I think that people enjoy the quality of their food and agriculture provides the best food we're very fortunate in this country that we have economic food available supplies available regardless of all the the issues we're fighting uh, the grocery store still has quality food on the shelves yeah i would agree I, I one of the reasons that it concerns me is i have gone to the same location in cape Girardeau, missouri on my way home uh you know to arkansas on my way home back here to illinois for the first time in 20 years i couldn't buy regular meat for breakfast uh, at this particular location, only the impossible meat was available. So that was my first experience with not having an option, because we're all about options. Yeah. As long as I've been here with agriculture, with you guys, wow. you have always said, if you, if you want to be vegan, no problem. If you want to eat meat, no problem. But this was the first time you couldn't actually purchase something to eat that was a you know a real meat product so that that stuck in my head and that's where I'll turn it over to Jake because I had my eyes closed until recently with this company that, that we work with with clear profits we were able to see the marketing being done to kids as young as three and four years old go ahead Jake uh, so this will be a major challenge for my generation's livestock producers to continue to be relevant and seen as an environmentally friendly way to produce protein. And so I got to go back. Um, we were at a young leader meeting uh, just at the American Legion, actually, and we were talking about this issue. And one of the individuals who was there, she's a vet. And so she described in pretty good detail on how they actually do this because in vet schools they do this so they can practice surgeries so they can practice shots so they're not actually having to practice on live animals right away when you're first learning they actually do make these impossible proteins because they react similar to medications and stuff she said the amount of plastic and petri dishes and things that we used was ridiculous this is not an environmentally sustainable way to feed a population that we have is to do this impossible um, meat. So as my generation, the generations to come, how that's a big concern, um, if we really care about the environment, we're not going to be eating impossible uh, meat. We're going to be eating beef and pork and naturally uh, produced proteins that are environmentally friendly and efficient. Um, it really kind of opened my eyes to what exactly impossible meat is and i guess the other comment she made on that too is if they did not do it in the right way they did not make proteins they made plastic and so i kind of remember my school lunches feeling the same way if i didn't quite do it right i might be eating plastic so i don't that that's not a comforting feeling for me going forward brian duncan of the farm bureau is all over this as we have learned it it is a challenge you're working with it uh, not only on a state level but on a national level 
Yeah, so we've you know we've opened a box of, of topics here with with animal agriculture. So let's let's just talk about animal agriculture first of all. We know it's a it's a huge uh, component of the economic engine of Illinois. We know it's a huge driver for agriculture profitability, uh, a robust, healthy livestock market. We face challenges of, of on all fronts, uh, from supply chain to demand for our products. Um, due to uh, unreasonable legislation, and I'm referring to California Prop 12, which will soon make uh, most pork products uh, unavailable for sale in that state. And what we see on livestock, we see a ton of disinformation that comes out, and it's all feelings-based. Feelings-based initiatives that have no basis in the facts of animal husbandry, and that's what Prop 12 in California that talks about space requirements for breeding animals for swine did. Um, I think, and Vanessa, I'm glad you said that. Agriculture has always been an all-of-the-above kind of organization. If you, if you want to have an alternative vegetable-based product that calls itself meat, okay, just, just know your facts, know why you're doing it, know the realities around it. If you want to try cell-cultured meat, if that's something in the future, okay, let's know the facts around it and make sure you're making it an informed decision. And so I think the challenge for us is to continue to present the facts, to tell our story of sustainability, to tell our story of environmental friendly uh, production of livestock proteins. Uh, like I said, I take vegetables and turn them into bacon on my farm, and I think that's a pretty good trade-off. Thank you, Brian. V Vanessa, if I, if I could sure. just add one quick, very quickly. The, the rules of the game have changed, as I mentioned. It's not facts, it's not science, it's how you can use emotion to evoke an opinion, and that's the world we're living in today. You're right, Rob. And it takes us back to one of the original points that Ron Moore made about the uh, Green New Deal when it was brought up, and, and that had an anti-agricultural uh, connotation to it regarding the atmosphere and environment. Yeah, it was really disturbing when, when uh, there were a lot more buffalo back 150 years ago than there are cattle right now, so um, it didn't make any sense. One thing I will say, and, it, and this statement can be harsh, um, but it covers a lot of different topics that we've talked about today. If you say a lie loud enough and often enough, people will believe it. No matter what you want to talk about, you can pick your topic. But that's the biggest problem that we, I see we have. We are not out there telling the truth as much as the people who are out there telling the lies. And that, that's, a, that's a big challenge for agriculture. That's what I meant about the social media marketing. Yeah. That's, that's the challenge. Um, okay. Well, we only have about five minutes left. I want to end on a positive note. Uh, so I'm going to turn things over to each of you so you can address our farmers. Today is about here's to the farmer. We thank our farmers. We get ready for a harvest. I hope it's a good one. Number one thing I want to say to farmers today is thank you and be safe. We've had injuries. We've had accidents. You are in our, our thoughts and prayers as you head out into the fields and into grain bins and on the road. People slow down. Uh, take someone with you. Have your cell phone charged. Be safe. That's our number one. Our number one goal is to take care of you, uh, the farmer. Ken McMillan, you did a wonderful job helping me out today, co-moderating. I appreciate it. I hope Thank you'll come you. back again. Glad to. Okay. Your last word, sir. Um, I would. I would just say to those people that are going to be going through a difficult harvest, 
whether it's safety or other things, don't forget that part of your job as a farmer is to be active in your farm organization, talk to your legislators. All these issues we talk about, part of your job is not only to harvest, part of it is to communicate to make sure at least some of these things turn out right. Okay. Chris Gavin, president with Midwest Bank, our host and partner. Um, what would you like to say to our farmers today? Yeah, I mean, this is a, uh, this is a great time of year. Um, the harvest is, is one of my favorite seasons of the fall. And, and I think not only be safe, but just enjoy it. I mean, I think we've got, uh, it looks like we've got a good window to get started on harvest. And so hopefully we, we don't run into some nasty weather and, and go on into November or whatever. But I would just... Uh, enjoy it you know as farmers we, we we're, we're families we get to spend time with our families doing that and so you know be safe and just enjoy a, a, a good harvest season thank you chris gavin senator jill tracy 47th district uh, senator tracy thank you for being here i know you always like to come and get a, a couple hours worth of you know information on agriculture and uh, keep fighting the fight uh, for for the good of the people in springfield Thank you. I've enjoyed being here. And once again, uh, I've learned very much. And I hope our listeners uh, think so, too. But I, I believe we've had a very good discussion. Thank you. Thank you. Rob Elliott, our past president with the Illinois Corn Growers, and uh, our partner today as well with Elliott Brothers Seed Company. Good luck to you and your family with your harvest. You bet. Uh, I'd like to echo Ken's comments. Is um, apathy is our enemy. Get involved. It is so easy today uh, to... Uh, turn Keeley, send a message to our legislative folks. So in two minutes on your cell phone, you, you can quickly uh, impact your destiny. So take a minute, put the combine on auto steer and impact your destiny with, uh, with a contact to our policymakers. Thank you, Rob Elliott. Ron Moore, our retired American, American Soybean Association uh, chairman, good luck to you on your harvest. Uh, stay safe, and I hope all is well with your livestock also. Yes, it is, and thank you for the invitation here again. I thoroughly enjoy it. Um, you have a great roundtable here. Um, the only message I would leave those as farmers is, is be safe, enjoy harvest. So this is what we've worked for since March. Uh, the culmination of a years of, of work and uh, like I say enjoy thank you Ron Brendan Marshall also with us our corporate partner a friend to the the farmer in the field of course Brendan thanks for being here well, thank you very much Vanessa um, I would just like to say to all the farmers out there thank you for everything you do not only for yourself and your families but for the benefit of everybody else and also please have a safe harvest and take back take your time and reflect on it Thank you, Brendan. With us as well, Representative Dan Swanson. Good luck to you and your farm as well, and thanks for being here. And uh, keep us uh, keep the fight up, like I said, for the good of the people. Well, thank you, Vanessa, and it's been a great day, starting with breakfast and ending with a, a light uh, dinner here today. It's been a great day. Um, also want to thank all the sponsors that have been a part of this your team and all those who have helped put this together. It's just uh, it's great to see communities like this come together and recognize farmers um, for what they do all 365 days of the year. And then just in wrapping up, uh, you know, as I think Chris alluded to how this is a beautiful time of the year. Take time to look at the trees. Take time to enjoy the beauty of the fall. And then with our harvest, uh, enjoy the blessings of a good harvest. And uh, um, 
you know, we're going to be doing this again next year. We'll be getting the planters out and stuff next year, and we'll just keep going. But uh, take time to enjoy the blessings of the harvest and also time with the family. Thank you. Thank you. Jake Armstrong? Uh, just want to put a name to the face that Rob alluded to, the turnkey ease. It's called Activator and FB Act. Uh, if you have not heard of that, uh, you need to call me, text me, or our office ASAP. It is super simple to get signed up when the um, notifications come out. It's two, three keystrokes, and you let our individuals know what your thoughts are. Um, very easy to do. If you're confused, have problems on that, let us know. We're here to help with that. And I lastly want to um, leave on a message of hope. Um, we've talked a lot of doom and gloom today, to be honest. There's just been a lot of troubling news. Um, but as I look around this room, we have a lot of smart people connected with the right people. Um, I know Farm Bureau staff is very intelligent. They're talking to the right people. Um, we have all the tools necessary to make this all change if we want. And if we, we just get active, we just get the numbers out, we just let our representatives know what we want, we have all the right tools at our disposal to change this if we want to. So I just very much encourage all the farmers, all the members, get out, be active, make your voices heard because we do have a big voice and we have a lot of weight um, for just the small amount of people that we are. So thank Thanks. you. Thank you, Jake, and good luck to you and your family as well on the harvest and with the elevator. Thank you. Excuse me, Representative Noreen Hammond, I got choked up there. Uh, thank you so much for being here. <laughs> I have that effect on some people, Vanessa. I can, I can understand it. Um, thank you. Thank you to you and, and your team for um, putting this together, for uh, putting the breakfast together earlier, and, and all that you do for uh, this community and the surrounding area and, and um, all of the folks that are able to take um, advantage of, of these types of programs, um, they, they are on the winning end of this, and, and I appreciate you for all of that. Um, I will attest to what Jake says. Um, those Farm Bureau activator um, alerts, they work. Um, they certainly get our attention, and um, I would encourage folks uh, to take advantage of that. Um, always great to be with Brian and and uh, get the inside on on what's going in, going on with with Farm Bureau and and what they're looking at um, in the future, and and to just be with these folks that are are not only involved in actively um, uh, crops and and uh, livestock, but also um, making something of that for all of us and, and for our future. And um, I would just say to everybody uh, to enjoy your harvest and, and remember um, that there's somebody waiting for you when you get home. So um, be safe as well. Thank you, Representative Noreen Hammond. Jim Lighting, pleasure to see you again, sir. I hope all is well and good luck to you. Very good. I want to thank the entire ag community and echo the safety. Um, the ag sector, whether it be the grain elevators, the river terminals, or our, our ethanol facilities, please keep in mind your drivers as they're, they're going through those facilities to do so safely. Um, we do have some people that are always in a hurry, and I think that's when we do run into safety concerns, both on the farm and at our facilities. So that ag community is there to serve you, whether it's your local country elevator, whether it's one of our ethanol plants, and we all want to work together and provide that service and help you have a successful harvest. And with that, I want to say thank you for everything you've done relative to our business and the whole ag uh, community.
Thank you. Jim Lighting with us. We appreciate it. Have a good harvest as well. And yes, earlier when I said slow down, I meant slow down to the drivers, not the farmers. Uh, and stay <laughs> off your cell phones because that's that's uh, how accidents happen. Mr. Brian Duncan, I hope you enjoyed yourself. A oh. full busy day in Warren County. Thanks for coming. I certainly did, Vanessa. And thank you. You are indeed an agricultural rock star. Thank you for the work <laughs> you do. And I'm just always so impressed when I come down here and get to be a part of this. And I want to, I know I'm Presbyterian, Jake, but I almost said an out loud amen to your comments, but I stifled it successfully like good Presbyterians do. But, but, uh, amen. Um, these problems are, these things we talked about today, nothing's insurmountable. And I hope those of you listening, and I thank you for listening today, uh, see value in being part of something bigger than yourself, being part of an organization. And I'll put a shameless plug in here for Farm Bureau because uh, that's what I live, breathe, and bleed most of the time. Uh, as we've been sitting here talking about the issues today, I'm, I'm literally getting text updates from staffers who are dealing with these issues and giving me updates on everything from the Energyville to Secretary Vilsack's uh, comments in the Wall Street Journal. So we are working hard on your behalf. I hope you see value in that membership as, as we work on all these issues. I hope you all stay safe and just appreciate and enjoy the fact that you get to be part of what I consider to be the greatest profession in the world, uh, production agriculture or being part of the agriculture supply chain. That is indeed a privilege. Being Vice President of Farm Bureau is a privilege, and I thank you for allowing me to be here today. Glad to have you. Brian Duncan, our Vice President with the Illinois Farm Bureau. I'd like to thank Kelsey Crane. She's been our engineer here at the Patent Block for your Ag Roundtable. Excellent job, Kelsey, as always. Victor Dantas would like to thank him for the video production today uh, with us from Clear Pro back in the studio all day. It's been Sean Temple as well as Mike Weaver, uh, Mark Meyer, Lauren Fulmer, and Mark Richardson. I appreciate their help for everything that's been done. And our lunch is ready from the Patent Block Grill and Brew Pub. Thank you very much as our partner, uh, Chris, Chris and Lisa Gavitt, as well as Kevin Sarar uh, as well. So we appreciate that. Folks, have a great uh, harvest, and it was good to be here with you today. So long from the 2021 FS Ag Roundtable.